Welcome back, everybody. It's CFE Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFE Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish C-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter machine. And I think you guys would agree with me that football is stupid and nothing matters. Um, I uh, don't like it anymore. Steelers losing, Longhorns losing uh, is the worst. Um, uh, but I'm depressed. But look, back to six and four on the article. So I'll take that as a glimmer of hope in this terrible football world that I'm living in this year. Um, you know, get to take a look at a lot of the draft prospects. So I guess we're painting with a silver lining here, but Nick, uh, good results again against the spread. You said over unders this week. We're kind of mid, but 20 and one, this number of 21 decided win totals right now. And Nick is 20 and one so far. So an unbelievable start on that, Nick. And it was a great weekend. So, uh, I mean, we had um, Clemson survive, TCU beat K-State, Oregon snapped UCLA's undefeated streak, Oklahoma State beat Texas, Alabama bounced back from the Tennessee loss, um, Ohio State and Tennessee were dominant, LSU dominated the second half to beat Ole Miss. So there was a lot of fun this week, uh, just not on my side of, the, of football. So, uh, how are you feeling, and uh, what what did you like the most from week eight? Well, I feel pretty good. Uh, yeah, did did some. I've been tracking the win totals, and and we were off to a pretty good start. It was like, you know, four and one, five and one, six and one over the last couple of weeks. Some of those uh, bottom teams, the over two and a halfs, hit pretty early. Kansas, of course, Duke, um, but. Right around week eight and nine, you know, we were, uh, or, or, you know, leading up to this midpoint in the season, we were very close on quite a few. And a lot of them, you know, we got the result that we were looking for this past week. I tweeted it out a little bit uh, late Saturday night as I was kind of going through doing some housekeeping. And it just kept, you know, the first time I tweeted it out, it was 18 and one or something. Uh, and I just kept having to to update after a couple of uh, <laughs> other you know finals uh, came in on on our you know in our favor. Uh, so feel pretty good about that. I mean, you know, we put a lot of uh, time and energy into our preseason projections. I mean, building all the you know player information, keeping track of transfers and injuries, coaching changes, all that good stuff. Uh, so it's it's definitely nice to uh, have an opportunity to celebrate some success. Obviously, we are a long, long you know way from the end. Still, over a hundred have to be decided. So uh, we could end up on the you know wrong side of five hundred uh, if if uh, you know we hit a little bit of a, a bad break in the the second half. But today and and you know since seeing that 20 and one uh, mark sort of become official um, that felt pretty good. Uh, also, you mentioned the the results against the spread. I've, I've said a, a time or two here and there in some conversations with folks, I, and I, I actually wrote a little bit about this, uh, you know, week four or, or so when our numbers were really, really struggling I had already kind of gotten a little bit bored with the 
against the spread projections. Um, they're, I don't know, just the, you know, the results last year and then the, the bad start this year uh, put a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. So I started to say like, okay, you know, I'm going to, going to probably uh, peel back a little, uh, pull back a little, I mean, and, and, you know, maybe not emphasize these, spend a little more time and energy on the things that we do uh, well, like the preseason uh, stuff and, and all the personnel stuff. Um, but we've, we've been, you know, four straight weeks of 53 and a half percent or more uh, in our, our traditional team strength model against the spread. So that, you know, that feels good. Uh, I feel like things are really sort of rounding into shape. I'm not, you know, dreading this uh, time of the week uh, <laughs> like I was for, you know, the last year plus uh, when things just weren't going well. And, and you know, certainly, again, there's five full weeks of uh, the regular season yet to go, conference championship, bowl games, all that good stuff. There's plenty of time for things to, to take another turn in the wrong direction. But, you know, we've mentioned I, I really kind of liked how the prism uh, projected scoring margin, the, the stats only model, how that's really been looking in weeks past and feel pretty good about uh, the team strength model uh, as well. So uh, like last week, and, you know, fortunately we, we weren't punished for this. I was, I was worried about it. Uh, but like last week, we're on a lot of underdogs again for week nine. You know, we, we certainly might, uh, have that luck even out a little bit because it feels a little too, you know, leaning too heavily in one way. Uh, but overall, I, I, I'm feeling pretty good about the last, you know, month or so. And, and I'm not, you know, super fearful of just a, a horrible, uh, you know, like we had in week one, <laughs> basically. Um, yeah. Hopefully we won't relive one of those, but it, it certainly could happen. We'll see. But feeling a, feeling a bit better in that, uh, win total projections is uh, definitely the probably the biggest piece of that. Yeah, I mean it's always a good feeling uh, to do well, right? Uh, it, you know, it's kind of like I say when people are like, "Well, it's the preseason." Well, it's whatever. I'm like, well, rather look good than bad, right? I mean, just boil it down to that. Rather look good than bad. That that's the whole thing here. Um, my Longhorns didn't look good this week, Xavier. But what else did you take away from uh, week eight and uh, not Oklahoma State winning? What else did you uh, take oh, away? Fraud, fraud week was great. This was this was fraudulent <laughs> team weekend getting exposed on a consistent basis. Uh, but just so happened- I feel like fraud watch is like what, what did they used to have on like must watch must see TV yeah. on NBC or something like that's that's what fraud watch is to me is uh, just looking to see these teams Xavier calls out watch them drop off. One by one is oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dropped in, and two out of the three of them dropped like flies this weekend. Uh, Ole Miss getting absolutely drubbed in, in uh, Baton Rouge. Uh, I, I told everybody, look, Jackson Dart can't throw the football more than you know he can see it. So I think we're good in that situation. Uh, I didn't expect LSU to necessarily blow the doors off of them, but I did expect them to come out and compete and make it closer than a lot of people expected. Um, I think right now, and I've said this in several places, so people can quote me on this. I think Jaden Daniels is having a, a a his first year at LSU very much reminds me of what Joe Burrow did his first year at LSU. That's all I'll say. I, I think record wise, they may end up being the exact same. They both went uh, Joe Burrow went nine and three in that first year at LSU, 
But the way that Jaden Daniels is starting to figure out the offense and the way he's able to play with his legs in particular, um, and he's becoming more and more confident with a group of receivers that's been much, you know, has been very underrated at this point. Uh, it, it very much reminds me of kind of what Joe Burrow walked into. He had a group of receivers that was very much underrated, but and people weren't giving them the time of day. And then all of a sudden they had a really, you know, they had a nine and three year that kind of was quiet. And then the very next year, obviously they exploded. I can ju- I just see that that offense is starting to click and it's going to make it a very fun matchup when they see LSU that game or excuse me, when they see Alabama, um, you know, this, uh, next week. So I- I'm extremely excited to see what they do now, um, especially after watching them this week against an Ole Miss defense. And it's been pretty good. Um you know, all things considered, but LSU just ran through over around them. Um, and they just looked like they just looked faster. They did. They just looked so much faster than Ole Miss. Um, the other one that was on fraud watch was UCLA. Oregon from the jump just showed me that they were the better ball club. Um, I, I really, really like uh, the idea. Uh, I really like what Bo Nix did. I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but Bo Nix looked great. <laughs> he, he looked well. He looked composed. He looked uh, like he understood exactly where he wanted to go. Oregon ran the football extremely well. Um, they they gave UCLA a taste of their own medicine. Um, and and to be honest with you, and this is something that I talked about before. You know, we got into the game last week, but you know, you could tell UCLA's confidence was shot. Uh, and once they got down, the the inability to run the football down thirty one to thirteen at halftime showed in that second half. They just couldn't continue to drop back time after time again and actually produce without having to give the ball to Zach Charbonnet. Um, and the one that got away, TCU gets away by the skin of their teeth. Um, not only did Kansas State lose one quarterback, they lost two. Uh, and they still, in my opinion, were, were very much in this game until the second half uh, where Quinn Johnson just decides to take over. Max Duggan and his legs obviously also, you know, took a step forward. But TCU, your time has come. You got away with this one. You were about to get beat by a backup quarterback. That's no that's no question in my mind. Uh, they were rolling offensively. Uh, I'm circling that Texas game for you guys to lose now because I don't think you'll lose to West Virginia or Texas Tech. But Texas, uh, November 12th, uh, pencil me in. TCU fraud watch will finally come to an end. Um, and yeah, uh, other than that, I felt like Syracuse literally and figuratively threw the game away against Clemson. Um, I just felt like that was a game that, you know, you, you go back and look at undisciplined football and you can highlight that game all you want to. Um, the one takeaway I will have about that game that I think a lot of people right now are, are trying to come to a conclusion on is I don't think Cade has sewn up that job whatsoever. Uh, when you look at that game, I don't think Cade played extremely better than DJ in some respects. I think he was I think he was allowed to be more of a game manager, but without erupting the passer penalty. On a third and 25, the offense does absolutely nothing, in my opinion. Nothing. Uh, the offensive line blocked better in the second half. Will Shipley had way more running lanes in the second half than he did in the first. That led to a lot of his success. But when you look at Cade's numbers and you see two for four, 19 yards, I cannot tell you right now that this kid has sewn up a job whatsoever. Um, I understand that people you know, were throwing off the eyes emoji. Is this Trevor Lawrence taking over for Kelly Bryant part two? Like, <laughs> I'm not going that far because I genuinely didn't see anything from Kate that made me go, this kid's ready to win primetime football games. Um, and I understand, once again, he helped them win, but this feels more akin to when Chase Bryce helped uh, Clemson win a game when Trevor Lawrence got knocked out with a concussion a couple of years ago versus Trevor Lawrence taking over for Kelly Bryant. Um, so 
that's my biggest takeaway from that game. I think Syracuse is moving in the right direction. But, boy, you talk about ways to lose a ball game. Your defense just completely unraveling from a disciplinary situation. I mean, that same drive, they pick up a horrendous face mask, which was completely after the play. Like, they just – I don't know what happened. And I, and this is why, you know, when you watch a game with 18, 19, and 20-year-olds, you try to figure out what's going on. But you're just like, what are you doing? You're throwing away the opportunity to beat a top-five team in their home stadium where you dominated for three-and-a-half quarters. And you're literally giving them the game on a silver platter. And Clemson, to their credit, didn't let it go by. It's funny that you mentioned the 18, 19, and 20-year-olds because, like, when I'm writing up some of my bets, I'll think, like, ooh, are they playing early? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, uh, like who's going to be hung over for real? I mean, you know, uh, uh, some of these teams have looked hung over uh, playing those early games too. You know, I mean, we all went to college. Uh, every, every, everybody's done that. You know, you party a little too hard next day, a little rough, you know, and if you go, <laughs> got to go out there and play, it can be uh, difficult, but that's, you know, like you said, the um, frivolousness of the preparation for 18, 19, 20 year olds. It's just different. You know, that's why uh, the big universities are usually favored by so many points because they act more like a business than some of these other ones do. So, I just want to say an apology. I just want, I think Mississippi State and the schedule makers owe them an apology. I think for my entire lifetime, Mississippi State ends up being that team that Alabama plays every time they lose one midseason. Um, and then they just go and beat Mississippi State to sleep. And it's never fair. No matter how good Mississippi State is, like every time Alabama needs a win, they go and beat Mississippi State, whether in Fayetteville or in Tuscaloosa, and they beat the brakes off of them. And I, at some point, you know, Auburn a couple of years ago complained about playing Georgia and Alabama in November and in back-to-back weeks. I think Mississippi State needs to co- complain to the schedule makers. Like, hey, can we can we get Alabama a little bit earlier? Like, That's right. Can we, can we not get Be a, a crybaby to get your way. I remember and, the Ravens asking the NFL not to schedule the Steelers on national TV anymore. Uh, yeah, be a crybaby to get your way. Yeah, couldn't happen to a nicer guy. I like watching Mike Leach get beat to sleep. <laughs> Uh, anytime I possibly can, Xavier. So uh, let's keep that up, schedule makers. You're doing the Lord's work. I appreciate it. Um, but uh, we had um, we had a firing. Uh, Charlotte fired Will Healy, and not a surprise. They're one in seven. They're going in to be a 16 and a half point dog to Rice this week. Uh, that's a brutal blow. So uh, tell us about that, Nick. And then we have some injuries as well to go over. Well, uh, things really unraveled quickly at Charlotte. Uh, what was it? Just two years ago, uh, Will Healy, Will Healy was a hot name on a lot yeah. of the you know Power Five coaching lists when he took Charlotte to a bowl game. You know, brought in a little, uh, got a little buzz for the program. Um, it is a, you know, certainly a young program, doesn't have a whole lot of a, a winning history, but uh, has a lot of things in place to make you think it's it's uh, got the potential to grow, you know, become a, a, a fairly big uh, group of five football program. Um, they're moving, I think they're moving to, to the AAC, correct? Uh, so... It, it it was a bit of a surprise uh, coming into this year. We were pretty high on Charlotte. We had the uh, the over on their uh, preseason win total, so we'll be twenty and two very shortly. Uh, because yeah, you know Charlotte is is right there. Um, but it you know this news 
as bad as they looked, and I had heard a little bit of uh, rumblings that you know perhaps uh, Healy was was on really really thin ice, um, just based on how quickly things fell apart. But as a head coach, as a young head coach, uh, when you get that initial you know taste of success and uh, you become sort of a you know get labeled as a, a hot shot or up and comer or whatever the the you know term may be, um, you've got to capitalize because things can change pretty quickly. You know, like you guys were talking about when when your uh, job security relies on eighteen, nineteen, and twenty year olds. Uh, yeah. You know, sometimes um, things can can you know turn relatively quickly, and and uh, it you know. There, there have been some uh, folks in the past who, you know, didn't get out quite in time, didn't take that next jump. Um, you know, some get sort of a, a bit of a bad rap for jumping and taking that, you know, quick opportunity. Had Healy left after, you know, year one or year two, maybe some, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe maybe um, not everyone would, would look at that super positively, but it, you're not well, guaranteed. So some guys, Nick, are just their coordinators, right? They got to handle one side of the ball. Uh, they get to the head coaching position, and it just overwhelms them a little bit. Sometimes, you know, the, the, I understand what you're saying. There's many different factors. It's not just, hey, Healy's a bad coach, right? Right. Well, um, he had had, you know, uh, some pretty historic success at the FCS level. Took a team that was Owen. 20 or something. I mean, Austin P when he took over uh, was bad, took over a winless team and immediately made them competitive um, and was able to, to, you know, springboard from there to Charlotte. And then again, had immediate success, kind of got this wonderkind uh, tag and, and looked like, you know, he was relating to players really well. He's super young. Um, and it just, you know, wasn't, wasn't able to sustain it. So um, I, I was surprised I had higher hopes for Charlotte, uh, but it was pretty clear in that week zero loss to FAU that, that they just weren't very good. And they've had some injuries. The defense has been really, really bad. Uh, But that seems like a, a quality job that, that has the potential to grow into, um, you know, one of your better group of five uh, spots just based on, location and and some of the infrastructure that they've got there um so it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see you know what direction they go if they're going to uh get sort of a bounce back candidate somebody that got fired somewhere else um you know clay helton has had some immediate success at georgia southern will they try to go that route uh or are they going to you know try to to find another um young up-and-comer that that you know, it just didn't quite work out long term with Healy, but they did have some early success. So um, I'm I'm intrigued. Uh, I'm intrigued by basically all the openings that there are, but uh, this one certainly kind of caught my eye. Partly because it it you know this time last year I would have thought you know Healy uh, would have been more likely to be a Power Five head coach in 2023 than get fired. So yeah. Uh, you know, he'll, he'll be able to reset somewhere and, uh, probably have to be a coordinator or whatever, and then work his way back up. But yeah, uh, when you take the step and it doesn't work, you know, 
Yeah, that's uh, it's a difficult thing. What injuries happened this week that have you concerned moving forward, Nick? So quarterbacks are always, you know, front and center. And, and we had some uh, in the Mac. There were some surprise, you know, three Sleet in play, right? Sleet in play. Um, Taylor Powell from Eastern Michigan didn't play. Rocky Lombardi came back last week and then was out again this week. Uh, because so... I bet against Northern <laughs> Illinois the week before. That's exactly what it is. There you it go. has to be at this point. Come on. Uh, but you know, those, those were some surprises. Uh, James Madison's had some injury issues that, that kind of helped derail their strong start the last, uh, couple of weeks, couple of losses. Todd Santillo didn't play, um, uh, you know, at K-State, Adrian Martinez played what a drive and, and then was out for K-State, um, Talia Tungabailoa didn't play for Maryland. Tyler Van Dyke got hurt at Miami. Uh, so the quarterback position just as a whole was, you know, uh, just just a lot of a lot of injuries. And and oh, James Blackman at uh, Arkansas State kind of a surprise didn't play. Um, so unfortunately, you know that that's something that we've uh, dealt with basically all year. And and coming into this week, there seemed to be. Uh, you know, a lot of those guys I mentioned, some are, you know, probable to return. Some are still questionable. Some we have kind of conflicting, you know, information on. So this week, it seems like there are more, un, you know, more ambiguity around a lot of the quarterback uh, situations more than usual, which makes me a little bit nervous because that's the biggest, you know, single personnel uh, weight that we've got obviously is quarterback and, and it's by a pretty big margin. Um, so that, you know, don't, don't necessarily feel about, feel great about that. Would like to, to have a little more clarity on some of these, but, uh, just, you know, this time of year, um, and unfortunately it's been happening all year, but, but, uh, the longer we go, the more likely, you know, guys are getting banged up. Um, so hopefully everybody will, you know, bounce back quickly, but, uh, Tanner Morica at, at SMU, um, Haynes King at Texas A&M. So they might be down to their you know, third string. I mean, it's Dequin, uh, Dequan Finn at, at Toledo. I mean, there, there's a lot of teams dealing with quarterback injuries uh, heading into to, you know, the second half of the season, late part of, uh, you know, as we, as we uh, near November. Yeah. Yeah. Lot, lots of injury stuff. A- anything else from week eight for you, Xavier? Yeah. I mean, the resurrection of some teams we definitely declare declared dead after the first two or three weeks of the season. Uh, Oregon's right back in the title mix. I mean, this is a team that was all of the only game they've looked bad was against Georgia. I mean, they barely beat Washington state, but they pounded everybody else. Right. You know, know, and they were considered dead. Now they sit at eight, you know, that they, they were pretty much written off almost a hundred percent. Utah, now sitting at 14, they were written off after losing to Florida and then losing another one. Uh, pretty much they were, you know, cast it out to sea, but now they're back competing for possibly, you know, a, a Pac-12 title. They got a big one against Washington State on Thursday. Absolutely. Um, LSU, like I said, they were cast. I mean, heck, after losing the way they did to Florida State, then getting pounded by Tennessee at home, everybody had written them off. They were done. Uh, they, a lot of LSU fans were not happy, happy with Brian Kelly. They sit now at 18. North Carolina. Uh, after losing Notre Dame, giving up 45 points to a Notre Dame team that pretty much hadn't had a pulse offensively up until that point. A lot of people writ- wrote them off um, as a possible, you know, as a team that could compete uh, at the high level. Uh, and South Carolina, 
Uh, they, you know, they're finishing at twenty five right now. You know, yeah. five and two. Um, you know, they they handled Texas A and M pretty hand, you know, pretty well this week. They have uh, found themselves at twenty five after, like I said, they were written off very early as well. Excuse me. Um, so, and you know, there's a few other ones that are kind of right there. You know, in and about it. Oregon State's currently receiving votes right on the outside looking in. Uh, Maryland's another one kind of receiving votes as well. So. Definitely a few teams that were completely written off uh, that are getting some votes. And I'm going to throw a last one in here just for funsies because I thought because I think early in the offseason, we talked about them being a team that could compete in their respective conference. But Troy, uh, Troy right now is dominating, you know, um, as a person who's currently going to grad school at Troy. I got an email this week and it was like, get your bowl tickets for Troy. And I was like, wait, Troy <laughs> it was like Troy football has enough wins to start getting bowl tickets right now. Uh, but they're atop their, you know, they're top of the division um, in the Sun Belt and have been really, really good um, and deserve the credit. And right now are just, you know, a few more spots in the outside looking in. But, you know, if we were talking about rankings going forward, they're probably like 31st in the country. Uh, but yeah, like, you know, another team that uh, has earned the right to, to possibly be in the top 25 in the coming weeks. Yeah. Troy, uh, I've, I've won a lot of games off the back of Troy uh, <laughs> this year. So uh, a lot of good spreads against them that I like. So uh, I'm all aboard the Troy train uh, for sure here. But let's get into week number nine. And, you know, it's not like, you know, I know some people will call it whatever. I think Saul Verbal calls it like a sleepy Saturday, right, where there's not a ton of big matchups. But this first one is enormous. I mean, Ohio State. Uh, versus Penn State here. The line is Ohio State by 15 and a half. We have it a little less than that, more like uh, 12, 11-ish, somewhere in that range. Uh, the total is 61. We're under that as well. Um, but I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to imagine Ohio State not dominating someone right now because uh, they've just been – they just smashed a very decent Iowa team. You know, um, they look good. Uh, Penn State is hit or miss. You know, Clifford sometimes looks great, sometimes looks terrible. Not really sure what we're getting from them. Um, and when they've been up to the task against these big teams, you know, Michigan killed them. Uh, so what do you think about this game, Ohio State uh, at Penn State? Nick? Well, I agree with you that Ohio State looks pretty close to unbeatable right now. Um, yeah, they, they haven't faced a really tough test in a while. Um, they struggled a little bit early with Notre Dame in the opener since then, according to college football data's uh, post-game win expectancy. They've had 100% post-game win expectancy in every game since. Uh, they beat a Wisconsin team that you know ended up firing their head coach. Um, Rutgers and Michigan State, not necessarily the toughest teams in the Big Ten East right now. Uh, so Iowa, you know, certainly you thought had a chance to, uh, maybe slow them down a little bit offensively. Um, but just wasn't really going to, to test Ohio state's defense, which has been really, really good. Uh, I know a lot of the raw numbers in part because Ohio state scores so much and so quickly, uh, they're on the field a lot. And, and, you know, some of the raw numbers don't necessarily look dominant, but when we dig a little deeper and, and, you know, a lot of the stats that we look at closely throughout garbage time and, and of course, you know, opponent adjustments are important and things like that. Uh, Ohio state ranks number two in our defensive team performance numbers, number one against the run. And, 
that's you know pretty scary when they clearly have uh, one of, if not the best offense in the country. According to our numbers, they are number one in offensive team performance. They're number two in passing offensive team performance. Um, they're top 15 run game. And it's pretty remarkable on both sides of the football because I'm not sure that we've seen Ohio State at full strength you know, health-wise yet. Um, a lot of you know this season, we've missed Jackson Smith and Jigba. He's back. Uh, you know, after last week, got to see him. Uh, but certainly that receiving core is incredibly deep with Marvin Harrison Jr., Amika Abuka, uh, Julian Fleming's off to a good start. I mean, they're, they're just so many receivers. Um, they've been without Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams both at times. They are incredibly thin behind those two uh, to the point where uh, Demontre Trainum, who you know, transferred from Arizona State and moved to linebacker, uh, is actually now back practicing full time at running back, just because there's there's very very little depth and and Henderson and Williams have both been banged up, you know, missed time uh, at parts this year. But top five offensive line, both in terms of talent and their O line performance. Uh, but on the defensive side of the ball, they have been you know, pretty thin and, and similarly, similarly banged up in the secondary uh, for the most part. I mean, they've had guys every week um, out of the lineup. I mean, Cameron Brown has been out, uh, you know, starting corner. They've been without Court Williams at times at linebacker last week. Um, they were out without uh, Toronto Mitchell, who was a starter in 2021, but, um, you know, a, a, a two deep guy coming into this year and, and, Still, they are, you know, at least at this point, they have looked uh, pretty unbeatable, uh, especially, you know, since late in that that Notre Dame game um, and since then. So it is difficult for me to visualize, you know, how does Penn State have a chance here? I think the big piece is, you know, this game is at home. Uh, it's a noon kick, so you know, not quite maybe as as crazy an atmosphere as if it were, um, you know, that primetime game. But but still should be, uh, you know, a, a home field advantage, a tough environment, probably the toughest uh, that Ohio State has has uh, faced this year. Um, I mean, they've only had one road game, right, at, at Michigan State, so uh, could potentially, you know, throw throw some things in, make it a little more difficult for CJ Stroud to communicate at the line of scrimmage, things like that. But Ohio state is getting healthier. Uh, Penn state has had fewer injuries. You know, Clifford was banged up a couple of weeks ago, but so Clifford's, you know, been playing pretty well, at least statistically speaking, they've got talent. Parker Washington had a incredible TV or excuse me, TD grab. Um, Last week, Mitchell Tinsley's had some moments. The tight ends have played pretty well, been productive. Uh, you know, Nick Singleton, the five-star, uh, soon-to-be, I'm sure, superstar running back, has looked good. Um, that whole, you know, running back group has is, is played pretty well. Katron Allen as well. Um, so, uh, you know, Penn State is, is not necessarily going to be completely outmatched uh, as far as you know, skill, position, talent on the offensive side of the ball, um, guys like Joey Porter Jr. and Kalen King are, you know, all Big Ten contending corners. I mean, playing well, but 
Uh, Ohio State is just so deep and has been so dominant and efficient. And I mean, you know, stats, they're uh, number one, number two in the country and in just about every, uh, you know, advanced offensive statistic that we look at. I mean, the, the weak spot is yards per pass, 10 and a half yards per pass, number three in the country. That's that's the lowest offensive uh, category of the the five main ones that that we you know list each week. So until Ohio State looks beatable again, I'm not necessarily going to expect someone to be able to beat them. Um, but this matchup, just based on really you know some of the the uh, ease i guess i i don't really want to say you know oh they haven't played anybody or easy schedule that's that's not normally my style but ohio state's scheduled to this point you know they have not really been tested and and this will be the toughest road environment they've played in um and it's i think by a decent margin uh going to be the most talented team they have faced to date so um there's a there's a chance that maybe, you know, we just haven't quite seen uh, Ohio State really be tested in terms of talent or uh, face adversity on the road, things like that. Maybe that shows up a little bit this week, but they've just looked so good that I kind of have to you know wait and and uh, see it to believe it. So our projections say that Penn State can keep it, you know, within two touchdowns. I don't have a ton of confidence that that they will be able to, but um, perhaps the crowd and and you know pretty talented roster overall, at least uh, that talent gap has been narrowed somewhat uh, compared to the other teams Ohio State has, has faced to date. Maybe they play well enough to to keep it within you know uh, two touchdowns there at the end, but this does feel like a game that you know again Ohio State's just going to. Uh, be able to put up a big number and, and you know, the defense playing as well as it is, uh, probably be able to give Penn State some problems as well. It, it seems like another potential blowout, but we will see. Xavier, what do you think uh, of Penn State versus Ohio State here? And I'll just give you the last couple of years. Ohio State's won three in a row, 21-10, 21-20, 13-7, low scoring game. And uh, um, or no, excuse me, I'm looking at the wrong dates. Uh, these, that was, uh, the wrong side. I'm sorry. Uh, completely incorrect. 33, 24. They won last year. They've actually won five in a row. 38, 25, 28, 17, 27, 26, 39, 38. So there've been some close ones in there, but it's usually been Ohio state winning. Um, not by a giant margin in a lot of these, but, um, you know, this is traditionally a closer game, but they don't look like they match up very well this year. Do you think it's going to be another close one, or do you think it's going to be an Ohio State stomping here? No, Ohio State, like much like Auburn and Alabama, Ohio State, Penn State does have a little juju around it. Uh, not a ton, uh, but uh, enough to, to, uh, to kind of lean towards what Nick was saying about this being on the road, about this being in a hostile environment. There's something about Ohio State going there, especially when, you know, Ohio State has national championship aspirations about going to Penn State. They just seemingly, you know, they, they have – uh, added oomph to play for. The one thing I will say, and the one takeaway from the Iowa game that I did have was that I felt like interior-wise, 
Iowa got home a little bit more than I thought they would. Now, obviously, the one touchdown that they did have was a defensive score off of a linebacker blitz inside. Uh, and, you know, they were able to get the CJ Stroud pretty easy. And that was the only thing, the only takeaway that I think I could see Penn State translating is causing CJ Stroud to move a little bit more, uh, causing him to go off his spot a little bit more frequently. Um, and also, I think the one thing about Ohio State that is so deadly is just the pure depth that they have at the receiver position. Um, this is something we talked about last year with them, but even in this game where they where, where Penn State may have the best corner in college football in Joy Porter Jr., that, that's not a stretch. Um, he might be the number one cornerback taken off the board this year. It may not matter. They may not just have – they may be able to go away from him all night and still find the same success that they would, you know, if Joey Porter wasn't on the field. Uh, and I think that that's what makes them so good. The other thing that has made Ohio State so much better than I, this year than I thought they were last year was their willingness to run the football um, even on passing downs. Uh, you know, third and sixes, third and sevens are not – the whole playbook is still relatively open for them because they feel confident enough to run draws to run stretches that would get them the, the requisite yardage because they feel like they have not one but two running backs that can get the job done. Um, Ian Williams and, and Travion Henderson, both of them, they feel like they have multiple backs where Travion doesn't have to carry the entire workload much like he did last year. What I will say for Penn State is that their defense is the best defense that obviously Ohio State has seen all year. And if they can cause C.J. Stroud some stress and, and cause him to – and more importantly, if they can get themselves out to a you know a quick lead and kind of play keep away the rest of the night, they have an opportunity to make this game extremely close. Um, C.J. Stroud is a guy who – you know I'm not going to call him a confidence player, but I will say that when he does get have to move off his spot more than he likes to, much like the Michigan game last year, he's shaky. He can be extremely shaky. I know that's for most quarterbacks, but when you look at, you know, when you're nitpicking a guy like C.J. Strauss Caliber, that's the one thing that you see on film time after time. When you go back and look at things like the Michigan film last year, he just could not find a rhythm. And once he stopped trusting his offensive line, the ball started getting out a lot faster, started getting out behind his receivers, and then the DBs were allowed to make plays. If Penn State comes out with a very aggressive attitude about getting to the quarterback, and then allowing some <clears throat> some of their athletes on the back end to play the ball more, which in my opinion, like I said, they might have the best. They probably have the best secondary that they've played all year. They, it, it includes Michigan, in my opinion. I think Penn State's secondary is extremely good. And that's not just Joey Porter Jr. Um, you're going to have to beat them up front. Um, when you've watched Penn State this year, the, the one thing that Michigan was able to do with them is that they really – they just out physical them on, on a consistent basis. And it made it very difficult for Penn State to want to run their offense because they were down so quickly. You know, Michigan comes out, you know, and the thing that I would also say hurt them in the in the Michigan game was Sean Clifford once again had one of those games where you're just scratching your head like, yo, my guy, put the ball in the air, throw the football, like trust your athletes on the outside. And if you can do that, then we're good. But, you know, we're not going to be able to just hold on to, you know, a 14 to 6 lead for four quarters against a team who's running the football rather, you know, pretty good against them. Uh, so I'm going to take Ohio State because they have a balance this year. If this was pure air raid, you know, kind of offense, I would have this game extremely close because I think that, you know, athlete for athlete, they can match them in some regards. Uh, but Ohio State's balance and ability to run the football, and I know Penn State has heard it all week, they gave up 300 yards, 300 yards rushing to Michigan. They got beat up up front. That's the reason why they lost that game. Ohio State's going to come out and try to do the exact same thing. 
If they succeed, it's going to be similar to the Michigan game. They're going to blow them out the water. If Penn State can actually hold their job up front, this game is going to be a ton closer, and it's going to come down to whether or not Sean Clifford can make the requisite throws, which he has not in big games throughout his career at uh, Penn State, if he can make the requisite throws to win them the ballgame. He's going to have to make like three or four throws in this game that are just either, you know, in the bucket or great 50-50 balls for them to win this game. That's what it takes to beat a team like Ohio State. You're going to have to make those kind of throws, you know, and I'm not going to say all night because they have a running game, but you're going to have to make them on a consistent basis if you're going to want to beat them. Uh, so give me Ohio State. I, I want to say Penn State's going to cover. Um, I just don't know if I'm that ballsy today. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know what? Penn State covers Ohio State wins by 10. I, I'm comfortable. Ooh. All right. Uh, there's um, absolutely no way I'd been on Penn State, but uh, I I understand uh, the logic should be a I bet you it's close and I could see Penn State uh, beating the spread. There's just no Our, way. Our uh, prism model, which I like a little more right now, actually has Ohio State covering. So it does have Ohio State covering. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Ohio State got me uh, the spread and the over last week. So I'm, I'm all about Ohio State right now. Um Number three, Tennessee, Nick, is uh, a home favorite against Kentucky by 12 and a half. We have it a little closer than that. We have it uh, under nine, more than eight-point spread here. 63 and a half is the total. Uh, we have that as a little bit less as well. But you look at these two teams, Tennessee doesn't have a total under 34 this year uh, in terms of scoring. 34 was their lowest Scoring game against Pitt, uh, 59, 63, 38, 40, 52, 65 have been their other totals. Kentucky hasn't scored higher than 31 points. They blanked Youngstown T State 31 zip. Uh, no, excuse me, 37 they put up against Miami of Ohio week one, 37 to 13. But their, uh, their other games, let's just go with the power five games here. They put up 26, 19, 14, and 27. So for me, it's hard to look at this game and feel a lot of love for Kentucky. Tennessee looks like they're on a certain huge trajectory. Now, Kentucky would love to wreck this for them. And I know Xavier likes to put Tennessee on fraud watch as much as he possibly can. But Nick, what do you think about Tennessee versus Kentucky? Can the Wildcats pull this upset or do we have Tennessee kind of cruising here? So projection-wise, um, all three of our projection models are our you know, traditional team strength model, our talent edge model, which if this is your first time with us, strips everything but uh, our, our talent metrics, roster strength, um, which we calculate using you know, uh, projections from 247 Sports and, and other recruiting projections. Um, as well as you know some experience in production, and then our stats only model, which is uh, you know just based on this year's team performance results and a lot of advanced stats. All three of those line up on the side that that thinks Kentucky is going to be able to keep this game in single digits. Uh, I personally, you know, somewhat similar to, to thoughts on Ohio State. I don't necessarily have a ton of confidence in that because Tennessee has been really, really good. I mean, 
they are number six in offensive team performance. Uh, but if you look, you know, stat by stat, the yards per play, points per drive, yards per pass attempt, success rate, uh, PPA per play, uh, predicted points added per play, um, which we track week to week. They're in the top five nationally in, in all five of those. Um, they've got, you know, maybe the Heisman front runner in, in Hinden Hooker, if it's not CJ Stroud. I mean, the, the two of those quarterbacks are just playing at, at an incredible uh, level right now. Jalen Hyatt has is, is exploded uh, to be maybe the most productive receiver in college football. I was just looking at, you know, CFF leaderboards uh, and he's number one <laughs> at the receiver position in, in uh, PPR uh, scoring. Uh, so for him to, you know, play that well, step up with Cedric Tillman, who's been limited, uh, been out for, you know, a few weeks now, that's been great to see. Um, they've, they've been able to build some depth in that receiver group with guys like, you know, Ramel Keaton and, and Squirrel White had a big game against, uh, UT Martin last week. Um, so they're, they're just one of the best and most explosive offenses in the country. Um, and they don't play terrible defense either. I mean, they're, they're not, uh, you know, they don't necessarily stack up with Ohio state that top five defense in, in our uh, team performance numbers, but they're top 40. And against the run, they are top 25. You know, Kentucky has had its struggles running the football this year, but uh, Chris Rodriguez is back and he is somebody that, um, you know, Kentucky can lean on. And, and one thing that, you know, is kind of interesting to me, if Kentucky is able to get Rodriguez going, uh, you know, the offensive line has taken a big, big step back uh, from what we're used to seeing a Kentucky offensive line. I mean, they're 97th in O-line performance this year. But if they're able to string together some drives, one thing that that really is kind of, uh, you know, sort of poking at me a little bit. I do these matchup projections each week for our Patreon supporters where I, you know, compare – uh, team versus its opponent and a lot of talent metrics, you know, full roster, uh, different position groups, O-line versus D-line, you know, quarterback versus quarterback. And one thing I added just a, a few weeks ago um, are pace numbers just to sort of see, you know, is, is this maybe a game where both teams work at a really fast pace? And so the the total, you know, could go over more than, you know, we might expect otherwise. Uh, but there might not be a more polar opposite um, pace matchup than this. Tennessee ranks sixth nationally in uh, the time per play. They're running a play every 21 seconds. That's that's sixth in the country. Uh, they're also top 10 in, uh, or excuse me, top 15 in offensive plays per game. They play 75 uh, snaps per game on the offensive side of the ball. Kentucky is the slowest moving offense in the country. 131st, 32 seconds between snaps. Uh, they only play, only have 100, or excuse me, only have 63 snaps per game on offense. That's 111th in the country. And then if you look at defensive plays per game, which, you know, a defense doesn't always have control over how many snaps. It plays if you play a you know low amount, maybe you're getting a lot of three and outs, turnovers, things like that. 
Uh, but if you're playing a high number, you know, sometimes it, it, it can be a factor of whether or not your offense is really good. And I think for Tennessee, that's why they rank in the top 10 in the country. Their defense has 78 snaps per game. But on the flip side, if you are playing a, a, a low, you know, total of, of uh, defensive plays, one thing that, that might impact that is your, you know, slow offensive pace. Kentucky only plays 60.7 defensive plays per game. That's 121st in the country. And part of that is they play keep away. They play at such a slow offensive pace. Uh, They also have a a decent defense. I mean, they rank 15th in defensive team performance, even though they've had uh, some injuries in the linebacker core and Jaquez Jones is going to be out for a while. You know, that's one of the top units in the country. Um, they are able to sort of manipulate uh, how their opponent, you know, basically they're able to, to, you know, limit their possessions. They do similar things to what teams like Army have done for so long. Uh, they're not and a just triple in terms team. of the total, uh, just because I'm looking at it, Kentucky mm-hmm. games, one in six, uh, a play to one in six playing to the over five and two for Tennessee playing to the over. So very interesting sure. there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a contrast in styles and uh, you know, if Kentucky is able to dictate the pace, if they are able to string together uh, you know, some long drives of seven, eight, nine plays uh, first down run, first down run with Chris Rodriguez, then I kind of like Kentucky to, to make this game interesting. Um, if Tennessee is the one that dictates the pace, if they're, you know, just, just playing as quick as they want to and having their usual success, um, then this is a, a game that could get away from Kentucky because if they fall behind by a couple of scores, you know, with Tavion Robinson has been hurt, uh, Will Levis certainly, I think, is is uh, has played well at times and can push the ball down the field. And, and Kentucky, I think, can match up some of their young receivers with you know against that Tennessee pass defense, which ranks 83rd in defensive team performance. So is a weak spot. Um, has given up uh, you know some big plays in the passing game at time. And, and defensively, they 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 uh, certainly do have some issues. I mean, they've been without a couple of starters in the secondary the last couple of weeks, Warren Burrell and, and Jalen McCullough. Uh, sounds like McCullough might be able to, to come back from a legal issue. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if Kentucky can control the clock, control the, the pace of the game, hit a couple of big plays to guys like Dane Key, Barry and Brown, uh, or if Robinson's able to, to come back, I'm not a hundred percent sure um what his situation is right now um but I, I think Kentucky as they often do can just be sort of a thorn in the side a, a very tough out a very tough team to beat and they will be Tennessee's you know toughest opponent uh well that's dumb I shouldn't say that Alabama obviously they they beat but it's just sort of a different toughest you know, remaining opponent well, they got Georgia next week, so yeah, it's it's a little bit of a uh, hyperbolic. Right, it was not the right thing to say. My apologies, <laughs> but it's 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 a 
it's a it's kind of a specifically tough matchup if that makes sense this game is in knoxville so uh it is a rivalry game long time you know kentucky tennessee uh so it's not really i don't think they're in danger of sort of a, a letdown look ahead situation where they're going to athens next week um but it is it is kind of a tough matchup um so i i think that Kentucky can make things interesting. I'm not sure they're going to be able to go into Knoxville and beat this Tennessee team that is playing as well as they are, that this offense that is playing as well as they are. And Tennessee across the board is a legitimate, you know, they're sixth in our power rankings. They are a legitimate national title contender. Um, If they get through the regular season schedule with one loss, they've got a real shot to get to the college football playoff. But they haven't necessarily, you know, don't have a, a real long track record of being able to get that done. Um, really don't have any track record. <laughs> it's, it's, it's sort of, uh, you know, they, they've been kind of a, a mediocre program the last few years, showed some promise last year, and then this year explode. Can they handle that success and, and beat a team they're supposed to beat like 10 or excuse me, like Kentucky? take care of business, not slip up, not, you know, lay an egg and, and uh, get yourself upset. I, I don't know fully that I can trust Tennessee in a situation like that, uh, like this to just go out and, and uh, exert its dominance. Kentucky doesn't usually let teams do that. Um but this might just be kind of a special Tennessee team. I mean, we've seen comparisons to the 2019 LSU teams. Um, that's not crazy. I'm not quite there yet, but, you know, sometimes a, a special team comes it. together. And Tennessee is playing at a really, really uh, high level right now. So I don't necessarily have a great read. Our numbers kind of like Kentucky. I can obviously – talking about all the pace stuff and, and uh, tempo and, and if Kentucky can dictate the flow of the game. I can see some scenarios where Tennessee has trouble here. Kentucky could cover, maybe even pull an upset. I think it's possible. Uh, but Tennessee's just been so good that, that I do think that they're probably going to, uh, you know, get the win, stay undefeated, and set up a huge, huge game uh, with Georgia next week. Xavier, tell us why Tennessee chokes this game. Because Kentucky can run the football and Tennessee hasn't shown a propensity to stop it. <laughs> I knew it was coming. See, I disagree. Tennessee's top 25 in, in our rushing team performance numbers. Kentucky, though, you know, Chris Rodriguez specifically has had good numbers. They have not been efficient on the ground. They're 106th in rushing team performance. That's not a great matchup for Kentucky. Okay. And, and Statistically I, speaking, I mean, maybe it doesn't work out that way and, and you know, We'll see, mm-hmm. but at least on paper, I, I disagree with you. And, and, I'll, and I'll give you why Tennessee looks like such a good running defense. It's not because they're actually a good running defense. It's because that their offense gets out so fast that you can't run the football anymore. It's really easy to look like a great run defense when you no. can't run the football anymore. Like, you know, after, you know, perfect example, when you look at Alabama's run offense, Alabama got what they wanted to do off, off when running the football, but they only ran in the red zone. Why? Because they had to move the ball so quickly because Tennessee's offense was scoring so fast. Uh, you look at most of Tennessee's games, look at look at Tennessee when they beat Florida. They gave up 141 yards on the ground, 
But Anthony Richardson had to throw the football 44 times. Same thing against Pitt. They gave up over 140 yards on the ground. Quarterback had to throw 35-plus times in the game. You're just not able to stick with your running game, even if it's working against Tennessee, because of the fact that um, Tennessee's offense is being able to go as fast as what it is. Um, actually, against Pitt, they gave up. They, they had to throw the ball 44 times between two quarterbacks, and they still rushed for over 141 yards, um, and that's including sacks. So um, when you when you look at Tennessee's rush defense, I think it's been overblown because they've been able – their defense hasn't – I'm not going to say they haven't had to do much, but they haven't. <laughs> their defense has relatively been able to be bend, don't break all year. Um, and in the in the event that they're not even bend, don't break, their offense picks it up for them. Perfect example, if you look at the second half against Florida, the offense wasn't good. Uh, Florida literally threw that football the football game away in multiple ways. They throw interceptions on their last drive. They go they lose it on first, you know, their, their first drive. They go 63 yards uh, and lose it on downs. They had multiple fumbles in that game, and they still only lost by five. And we see how inept Florida is offensively at this point in the season as it is. So I'm not buying the, the Kool-Aid that Tennessee's defense has arrived yet. Um, I'll be I'll be extremely excited to see what they are able to do this week because if Will Levis is to have a game where he, you know, uh, once again supplants himself as a top three quarterback in this class, it's going to have to be against a great team. Um, and, and I do think that it's going to have to be this week, and he's going to have to do so with his arms, with his legs. Um, and Chris Rodriguez is going to have to have a really good afternoon. The thing about Kentucky that has made me extremely excited for them in this game is that we, we, we talk about them having to control the clock. They do that extremely well. Um, their biggest problem this year has been red zone. They have to finish in the red zone against Kentucky or against Tennessee. They need to score touchdowns. If they don't, that's all she wrote. Uh, but when you look at a lot of their games and, and look at their ranked matchups against Ole Miss, 30, 38 minutes of possession uh, to, to Ole Miss is 22. Uh, you look at their game against Mississippi State a week ago, uh, once again, or, or two weeks ago, excuse me. They had over, um, you know, once again, had extremes amounts of possession, had 40 minutes of possession to Mississippi State's 20 minutes. So you see that there's a clear blueprint that Kentucky wants to do game in and game out. They want to keep Will Levis under 30 pass attempts. They want to rush the football for over 150 yards, and they allow their defense to just kind of do their job. Their defensive line isn't as great as it has been in the past when they had guys like Josh Pascal um, and, and players like him, but their defense, it, they keep the ball in front of them um, and they make you methodical. And that is something that I'm, ex I'm excited to see what Tennessee does when they're asked to go the length of the field on eight, on seven to nine play drives. Um, because I haven't seen Tennessee have to do that on a consistent basis for a couple of weeks now. The last time that they really had to do that was against Florida um, and before that against Pittsburgh. And, and the score lines are much closer and their offense isn't as explosive as what we've seen over the last couple of weeks against LSU and Alabama, where teams forced them to go, okay, cool. You can throw the football around the yard for six yards a clip. We're going to make you go the length of the field and let's see what you're able to do once we get down to this red zone uh, versus Alabama, who I just forgot what other, you know, forgot that multiple defenses exist and was like, okay, cool. We're just going to run man all day. And if you're going to run by us, run by us. Um, so I'm extremely excited to see what, what uh, Tennessee does offensively because I think they're going to have to diversify to win this ball game. On the flip side with Kentucky, this is kind of Will Levis's last opportunity to supplant himself as one of the top three quarterbacks in the class. Obviously, he could have a rest of the rest of the year for him could be great, but Kentucky doesn't have any more like high profile football games on their schedule that I, I would think outside of maybe one, and that's against Georgia, that would give you that kind of inkling that like, okay, cool, Will Levis has arrived. So this is going to be huge. I think this is I think so, this is one of those games where if Kentucky's in it, it's because matchups make fights. 
and Kentucky has run the football excellently. They've and they've given Tennessee like three possessions in the entire first half because they've run like nine play nine minute drives. Like genuinely speaking, that's going to be the formula that if, if Kentucky wants to win this football game, they're not going to win in shootout fashion, but they're going to make it ugly. They're going to make it extremely hideous, and, and that's fine. Uh, that's how they want to win football games against high powered offenses. Uh, you saw them similarly do the thing against uh, Ole Miss coming into that week. They said, "Okay, cool, Ole Miss, go ahead and go ahead and go methodical the entire game." At the end of the game, we're going to give ourselves a chance to win. They had that chance. They they threw it away with an illegal formation. But once again, they gave themselves an opportunity to win ball games, and that's kind of what Kentucky does. Uh, they're going to you're not going to just you know blow the doors off of them. Typically, they give themselves chances to win. And I think this week they're going to do the same. I still have Tennessee winning, but once again, the only thing I will say. And I don't think Tennessee would do this, and this would be the mark of a great team versus just a good team. There's no way, if you're Tennessee, you look over this game at Georgia. There's just there's just no way you can let that happen. Um, that would be a very uh, Derek Dooley thing to do. That would be a Dooley year, a Pruitt year thing to do for them to look over a ranked ball club just because they're not in the top five and lose to Kentucky. And that game against Georgia no longer has the exact same meaning that it had the week before. Um, or doesn't have the same gravity because obviously, you know, they, they would have picked up a loss. So let's see if Hypo kids sees kids in the gear um, and doesn't let them overlook to a, to a, you know, a bigger matchup in the following week. Uh, but I think Kentucky covers, uh, but I, I like Tennessee winning this game outright, especially with it being in New England. I mean, you couldn't have a better coach in position to navigate a win streak, right? Uh, Josh Heupel has obviously done this before. So let me ask you guys this. Uh, we'll start with you, Xavier. If Kentucky wins, what's the score? Oh, it's ugly. It's like 27. It's like 27, 24. Yeah. And like, if Tennessee wins, what's the score? Like 42 to 24. Okay. Yeah. Same thing, Nick. Uh, Kentucky wins. What's the score? If Kentucky wins, it's like 25, 24, like some, or, or like 23, 20, some kind of oh, ugly looking. Ugly. Score. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think if Tennessee wins, 42-17. Like, yeah. I think with Tennessee wins, I think so too. it gets away from Kentucky. Yeah, and so, th- so I don't, I don't have a ton know. of confidence in our in our projected final score of, of uh, 32-24. Uh, I, yeah. like I don't really like that. This is how we know this game is going to be 62-55 to 55, uh, Kentucky, right? <laughs> because uh, the logic all adds up to, hey, look, if uh, Kentucky wins, they it's ugly, they muck it up, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and they mess it. Uh, they they mess with the total. Uh, but if Tennessee wins, it's a nice clean beatdown. Nineteen eighteen. Uh, Nineteen eighteen. Tennessee oh. wins. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, way to win a ball game. And we're talking about uh, Steelers Ravens before the the recording started here. So uh, the, I, I've I've seen those games many a time, and I've enjoyed those games many a time. I think uh, only Kentucky fans would enjoy that. Tennessee fans would be pulling their hair out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look! If they win. Who cares is my point. I mean, uh, during the Bama game, they were pulling their hair out while up. Like every <laughs> negative thing that was happening, they were like, here we go. Here we go again. Tennessee being Tennessee. Not used to success. I mean, oh, yeah, know, yeah, not, yeah. not used to being in this position. So that's that's kind of why, uh, you know, I've had thoughts about, uh, we'll talk about this team later, Oklahoma State. I've had similar thoughts about, you know, James Madison when they got out to the, the what, 4-0, 5-0 start or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't quite believe that they're just gonna gonna you know make it all the way through i I think they're just gonna slip up at some point 
Tennessee, I kind of have that same feeling a little bit. And and I'm not talking about losing to Georgia. I mean, that's expected at this point. Uh, Could they beat Georgia? Sure. Yeah, we talked about, you know, the LSU comparison. But I just, yeah, I don't don't know that I'm quite there yet with Tennessee to, to trust them to win every game that they're supposed to win. And this might be the best opportunity for them to slip up in one of those spots. For them to prove you right, uh, absolutely. Uh, and it's funny, I, I had a listener uh, ask me yesterday uh, about, you know, why is it that some of these teams, um, he's like, and this is how I bet, too, just because of historic trends and stuff like that, is the good teams seem to always figure out a way, and the bad uh, bad teams always seem to figure out a way, too. And I said, look, a lot of it is just residual confidence. If you beat a team... Uh, it, just historically, as bad as Tennessee has beaten Kentucky, uh, especially since, you know, uh, 2000, um, you know, you just walk in and expect to win. And if you don't, it's a genuine shock to you, you know, uh, which I think we could be seeing uh, from some of these teams or from some of these Kentucky players, should they, uh, or uh, Tennessee players, should they drop this one to Kentucky? So, you know, it's just the the good teams uh, consistently play well and expect to do it, and the bad teams expect something to go wrong. Yeah. So that that's just how we get there. Sometimes we, we have a saying in SEC circles um, when it comes to Tennessee: a confident Tennessee is a scary team. A not confident team can get beaten by anybody. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that that's exactly right. If you non confident teams go into Nashville and lose to Vanderbilt, We've it's seen the same. Beat Georgia, like. It's all over the spectrum. It's all cliches, but they're cliches for a reason, right? Like, yeah. you know, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. You know, that's just kind of what it boils down to. So uh, let's talk about uh, the aforementioned K-State, number 22, one-and-a-half-point home favorites against number nine, Oklahoma State, uh, Kansas State. Uh, we have them more, uh, you know, two points, but right in this neighborhood, 58 and a half is the total. We're pretty close on that a little bit. We actually have this one projected to go over Nick. So uh, Kansas state, a couple injuries at the quarterback position last week, uh, couldn't pull through against TCU. Uh, but uh, Oklahoma state has been, you know, winning on shaky ground. They look good last week. How do we see uh, this one playing out here? I, I really have no idea this this one i do not have a good read on whatsoever uh we do take into account the potential that adrian martinez doesn't play in this game sounds like he's not practicing right now might not practice uh leading up to the game um we already mentioned that you know will howard came in played pretty well but he was also banged up we saw jake rubley for a little bit um i don't think Deuce Vaughn looked 100%. You know, he, he he didn't miss time. We talked a little bit about that he was banged up two weeks ago. Um, but, you know, hopefully he'll be a little bit closer to full strength. Hopefully we do see Adrian Martinez, uh, K-State banged up in the uh, back seven, uh, you know, uh, uh, defensively. Uh, Daniel Green and Josh Hayes left that game with, with injuries. Uh, the linebacker and and safety respectively. So, you know, K State is not <laughs> not near one hundred percent. Oklahoma State's not either, but still, it it seems like K State's got maybe some some more significant 
injuries right now that or at least ones that that they don't necessarily have i think surefire answers to or really quite the depth uh that would make me think that they're okay they're just going to be able to you know plug in next man up and and be the same team um oklahoma state's been you know one we saw dominic richardson have a, a huge first half last week against texas and then he was basically you know, not available in, in the second half, uh, banged up. Haven't quite yet heard an update on him. Um, they were without both Jaden Bray and Braden Johnson, uh, starting wide receivers last week. Uh, but Oklahoma State has got a, a pretty deep group of, of some exciting young receivers. You know, Braylon Presley looked good uh, last week, Stephon Johnson. You know, they, they stepped in pretty well. They have, you know, some depth at, at that position. Got some good young running backs, too, if, if Richardson's not able to go. Um, but uh, Oklahoma State, you know, similarly got, got banged up in the secondary. Jason Taylor had a really ugly-looking low-body injury. I would not expect him back. Um, they did lose Brendan Evers, who's been uh, hurt, but then also opted out is going to prepare for the NFL draft. Um, Thomas Harper was not available last week. Uh, DeMarco Jones has missed time. So, you know, Oklahoma State's not at, at full strength either, but, you know, they've been able to replace Evers, no problem. That defensive line is one of the top five units in the country in our position strength ratings. They're playing at a top 20 level. Uh, defensively, Oklahoma State is is good, not great top 50 on, on defense, defensive team performance, uh, similar numbers on offense, though I think that last week's performance, you know, made me think that they're really trending in the right direction. I liked uh, some things that I saw out of the passing game. You know, Spencer Sanders didn't have, you know, great efficiency numbers, but was productive and and has done a good job, it seemed, of, of you know, working in those young receivers and uh, Oklahoma State's pretty dangerous, I think, offensively. K-State has better defensive numbers. Uh, top 25 in defensive team performance. Um, you know, Felix uh, Anadike Uzuma is, is an All-American type pass rusher. Uh, looks like has a, a really, really bright future. Uh, we'll see. We'll see if, if the rest of the group um, – is able to play a little closer to, to full strength and, and be at that, uh, you know, personnel-wise, that top 25 level that we've seen. Offensively, you know, the running game has been it for K-State. Uh, Deuce Vaughn, of course, but Adrian Martinez is, is uh, certainly productive on the ground. We saw some of that with Will Howard as well, and I don't think there's a giant drop-off. Uh, but I think Martinez just has a little bit of a, a higher ceiling. It's just a little more dangerous. Um, so if, if he's able to play and, and play close to 100%, then I like our projection a little bit more. Um, but, yeah, you know, K-State with a questionable plus, uh, you know, highly questionable maybe is the, the term I would go with right now, quarterback to be favored over Oklahoma state, you know, a team that, that we saw uh, some might say he was, you know, disrespected as a, an underdog at home as the higher ranked team last week. Um, I kind of understand why there, there are some folks scratching their head. Why, why is Oklahoma state an underdog here? I don't necessarily 
love that we're on K-State and, and have them to win and cover. Our prism model is, is actually on Oklahoma State to win outright. I, I like that uh, more. feel a little more confident in Oklahoma State. I, I feel like we might be on the wrong side, but, you know, perhaps we'll get lucky or, or perhaps K-State will do what K-State sometimes does and, and um, beats a team that it's, you know, maybe not supposed to beat, that, that there's a little bit of a talent disadvantage. Um, and K-State's, you know, 50th in overall roster strength, 85th on the defensive side of the ball for a top 25 defense, you know, in team performance. That That's a pretty big gap. They're playing above their talent profile. Uh, Oklahoma State's not, you know, got a ton of five stars. They're 44th in uh, overall roster strength, but um, they do have the talent edge. And, and, you know, if this were on a neutral field, they would. Um, but I don't know. Don't have a great read on it. Uh, we have K-State, like you said, covering in a little higher uh, scoring affair. 31-29 is our projected final score. But I, I don't necessarily love that projection. Xavier, uh, what are you thinking here? I mean, um, I don't know. I feel like it's going to be tough for K-State to win with the, that quarterback down. So, I mean, Will Howard's not bad, you yeah. know. Uh, he He's a decent backup, but what do you think? He looked extremely confident in the passing game. I, I'll give him credit there. Where where he wasn't the same runner as Adrian Martinez, he looked comfortable in the passing game. Uh, yeah, He took what the defense gave him, and that's all you can ask for a guy who's coming into a game um, as big as the game that that was for them last week. I just felt like, you know, if he stayed in, I think they, they, they I genuinely think they would have won the game. I think him going out, their offense sputtered just enough for TCU to get some confidence and, and take that game over. Uh, the thing I, for the reason why I'm picking Oklahoma State to win this game is because I think they got their one loss out of the way. Oklahoma State typically has that one loss all year where they're like, mm, okay, are they going to fall off of a cliff after this or that? Last year was Baylor uh, midway through the year. This year it was TCU midway through the season. Uh, they, they got their loss out of their system, um, especially in the loss that I felt like they were the better team. They just gave away the ball game at, there uh, at the end. I, I think Spencer Sanders showed last week his ability to bounce back um, and have a performance that was necessary for his team going forward. And ultimately, I think that they're just a better team. I think Oklahoma State is finding ways to win this year. And, and there's something about that when, when you look at certain teams that they, they just have this consistent ability to find ways to win. I think uh, especially doing it with a senior quarterback, um, you know, helps in that. And also I think that, you know, last week you saw what happened once K-State had really no answers elsewhere. It just had to be the Deuce Vaughn show. And ultimately a guy, and, and I love Deuce Vaughn, don't get me wrong, but, you know, when you're asking a 5'7", five, 5'8", five, and I think they're being generous with that height, uh, running back, you know, to, to do everything for you, you're you're asking a little bit too much uh, for from him going forward. And I, I think this week Oklahoma State's going to hone in on making sure Deuce Vaughn doesn't beat them. They're going to make Will Howard beat them, um, and, and I don't think he has the ability to do so. Uh, this game, you know, now granted, this game is in Manhattan. As Oklahoma fans know, Scott would like that. As Oklahoma fans know, winning in Manhattan is not an easy job. It's never an easy thing to do, uh, especially when you come in there as an Oklahoma team ranked. Uh, so, you know, maybe like, like Nick said, maybe Kansas State pulls out another one, you know, where you're just like, how did they win this ballgame? Uh, and, you know, Oklahoma State, you know, drops another one, which I do not expect. But I, I think Oklahoma State wins this game. I, I think they, you know, they, they go into Manhattan, get themselves a good win over a good ball club, who I think at this point is just not the healthier team and is reeling a little bit in the health category. Um, you know, Adrian Martinez hasn't taken any snaps this week. I don't think he's going to be playing unless he just, you know, 
You know, now some kids heal really quickly three days before game uh, before game day. But I think mm-hmm. you'll see Will Howard uh, out there taking the majority of those snaps. Even if you do see Adrian Martinez, I don't think he'll be the same kind of player uh, because he won't be 100%. So you may be even see less of a runner, which is always a detriment uh, for a guy as, as explosive as he is. So give me Oklahoma State to win this ballgame. Uh, I think they go in Manhattan and get a big win and keep, you know, trying to, you know, on their little revenge tour to get back to the Big 12 championship game. I like it. Let's go lightning round uh, because those were like the three games that we had to cover. So I want to hit a couple a little quicker here, Nick. Uh, let's just start out with, um, you know, uh, Texas A&M uh, as uh, two and a half point home dogs at number 15 against number 15 Ole Miss here. Uh, I know there's been a lot of rumors swirling about Jimbo's future at, at Texas A&M as they have just not looked uh, very good this season. Uh, Ole Miss didn't look good last week, specifically in the second half. This game's a home game at College Station for AM, but Ole Miss is favored by a couple. We just saw a bunch of kids get suspended for AM too, like a bunch of freshmen. So it's just weird. It, it seems like a weird game to me. Uh, how do you see that one going? And AM announced that two starting offensive linemen are out for the rest of the year. So, I mean, it's just bad, you know, from bad to worse in in a lot of ways. Um, uh, But there are, there are some signs here. We, our numbers expect Ole Miss to, to, you know, bounce back, uh, win and cover, but Texas A&M at home, kind of in a, you know, back against the wall sort of scenario. I don't think Jimbo Fisher is going to get fired, but uh, they kind of need this win. If, if uh, you know, there aren't a whole lot of guarantees, uh, got to get three wins to get bowl eligible. They have the UMass game, but then they could easily lose the other four. So uh, if they pick up this one, things get a lot easier and seems in some ways, uh, you know, a good opportunity. So, I think we will see some fight from Texas A&M, uh, but our, our numbers are, are expecting Ole Miss to uh, go in and, and get a win and, and to cover. What do you think, Xavier? You think uh, Ole Miss handles business here? You think A&M uh, kind of they in a need-to-win spot, they got to win? Let the snowball continue. Texas A&M falls to, to Ole Miss. I just – this is a team that not only I think falters here, but don't be surprised. And this is just, you know, maybe some whispers out here already. Don't be surprised if that don't there's that amazing recruiting class that Jimbo gets. Doesn't look like he, they want to leave out the door too. Just just putting that out. Mm. Just putting that out there. That would be a shame. Really? We're sure. already out the door. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Wow. So, that's what I'm saying. Like that that, you know, it's great to bring in the classes, nothing to keep them. That's too bad. Hmm. Shucks. That's uh, very hurtful. Dang. It feels very, uh, to be honest with you, though, just a quick aside. This feels very Sumlin-esque. I'm gonna be. Compl- I'm gonna put it out there. The Re- Sumlin brought in a ton of great classes, all types of talent, and none of it. Mm, you know, none, I, of it said, none of it stayed. I, I don't mean to interrupt, but I've I've seen some things kind of compare a little bit to, and and these are uh, two of of the two of your uh, favorite punching bags, Sumlin. You made the reference. I've seen some Taggart esque yeah. uh, comparisons yeah. where, yeah, the the you know the recruiting numbers look great on paper, but are some of these guys maybe a little overrated? Are te- you know Texas A and M taking some guys that uh, other schools didn't really want? Um, 
And I think there was some of that at, at Florida State under Taggart. So uh, we'll see. You know, it, it certainly could play out that way. But, um, yeah, there's there's certainly some concern, some concerning signs. All <laughs> Scott put Zegif in the group chat. Uh, but no, perfect example. I think uh, just lastly before I leave, Harold Perkins passes on AM, goes to LSU, and has been wrecking shop over the last couple of weeks. I mean, literally to the point where Lane Kiffin in his in his press conference said they had Harold Perkins and we did not. Just 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 a piece. Yeah. Number uh 16 Syracuse, two and a half point home favorite against Notre Dame, Nick. How do you see that one going? Kind of a kind of a tough spot for Syracuse. They do get it at home. Uh, but this is a scenario where you can't let one, you know, you can't let Clemson beat you twice. Uh, we do have Syracuse favored and expected to cover. Uh, I've liked a lot of what I've seen out of Syracuse. They're playing like a top 10 team in our overall team performance numbers. Um, top 30 on offense, 21st on defense, including number six pass defense. Notre Dame has been really hot and cold. They looked great against North Carolina. They've looked you know, bad at times. I mean, the losses to Stanford and Marshall are real head scratchers. Uh, last week, they weren't even super impressive against UNLV. So I think this is a, a winnable game for both teams. Um, it's just whether or not Syracuse, you know, the, the question we've been asking a lot this year, is, Syrac- is Syracuse good? Right. Uh, I think more so than last week against, against Clemson, we'll know the answer after Notre Dame, a good team will win this game. A bad team will let Clemson beat it twice. Ooh, that's a that, I love that response, Xavier. What do you think of this game? Syracuse has got to win this game. And perfectly honest, with you, I think Syracuse has some making up to do to their own fan bases because, like I said, they threw that ball game away. Syracuse had that in the palm of their hands and had an opportunity to really put a stamp on. You know, that's that's a game changing. That's a uh, a program changing win to go into Death Valley and come up with a victory and stay seven and you know go to seven and zero and have a firm grasp on the ACC at that point. Um, you know, uh, so they've got to take, they've got some some making up to do this week, and I think they will do that. Um, the one thing I, I thought they didn't do enough last week, especially once they had the lead, was get the ball to Sean Tucker. I, I feel like his touches became very sparingly towards the, the down the stretch, and they almost. They, they got a little bit too overzealous with their decision-making down the stretch. I think they made – they put the ball in Garrett Schrader's hand a little bit too much, uh, even with the lead, uh, trying to, like, you know, put their foot on their necks. And I was just like, mm, or you can give the ball to Sean Tucker, who's only got, like, three carries. Uh, you know, so, <laughs> you know, and for, for a guy like Sean Tucker to finish the game with five carries, that's ridiculous. Like, he's too talented to have only gotten five carries. And yet, you know – you know, and with those five carries, he had 54 yards. So, t- you know, had an average of 10 yards per carry. Um, so I just – I think Syracuse got a little bit too big for their bridges last week and, and tried to do too much down the stretch there where I felt like even if Sean Tucker wasn't moving the football, it was moving the clock. Uh, and, and, you you know, you put it the ball in Gary Schrader's hands. He, he, you know, didn't do what he was supposed to do with the ball sometimes. And this week they got to do better. Uh, and Nick's absolutely right. They, they can't let Clemson beat them twice because they still have aspirations to win the ACC – Slash, you know, make it to at least a New Year's Six Bowl at this point. You got to think. So, you know, they've got some still some real program changing pieces still left to, you know, to have on on their year. How about uh, let's go to number eight, Oregon, uh, 17 and a half point favorites on the road against Cal totals 58 and a half here. What do you think of that game, Nick? 
I tweeted about Cal on Saturday. I don't know if anybody saw it because it was at like 2 a.m. Uh, I'm I've got my eye on Cal. I'm I'm intrigued by some of their young guys. I mean, you like Ott, obviously. I think he, you know, he had the one huge, huge game. Um, but offensively, they they're rough. They've got some pieces. Uh, but yeah, they have Ott. They have a piece. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, J. Michael Sturman had a huge game. Uh, Jeremiah Hunter, who I believe was out last game, uh, has had a really, really good year. Um, looking at our eligibility numbers, if everything is correct, Cal could return its entire offense. Um, they've got two seniors on the offensive line that have two years of eligibility. Jack Plummer, at quarterback, has two years of eligibility. You know, everybody else is is a junior or less so it, it'll be interesting i think they unless there's a coaching change or or uh guys transfer you know transfer because of coaching change or just because that's what people do some uh now cal should rank really really high in uh returning production next year but against oregon you know doesn't look great uh oregon is playing like playing like a playoff team right now I yeah mean, after that georgia game uh where they looked horrible they have looked great uh the defensive numbers still are not spectacular but you know you would expect them to be able to uh limit cal but this is one of the best offenses in the country and bo nixis i mean without you know with with zero sarcasm is playing like one of the best players in college football uh, Xavier, your thoughts on this game? Uh, you seem to like Oregon earlier in the show. Uh, are you, would you, are you put some of that hard earned Atlanta Hawks money on, uh, on Oregon at any I point here? I never put money on Bo Nix. The exact response uh, I expected. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Well, what, I, what I will say is that Cal has definitely, uh, been better than I think people think they are. They're probably one of the best teams in the country with a losing record. Um, their game against Notre Dame, I got to watch the entire one through earlier this year. I thought they should have won that game. Uh, I thought they threw that one late, threw that game away late as well. Um, this is a team that uh, Jack Plummer is starting to, you know, grow into the offense and Cal starting to have a post offensively, which is something that we haven't been able to say in years. Um, so to see that, the one thing I will say about this Oregon game, and, and this is going to be huge for Cal. If they're able to hang around, they've been able to stop the run very well. And Oregon last week against uh, UCLA, which kind of surprised me, is the way they were able to run the football against UCLA. Uh, they ran for almost 300 yards um, on top of throwing for almost 300 yards. Really a balanced effort from them. Uh, so if Cal could shut down the run and make both Knicks one-dimensional, they got a shot to make it ugly. Uh, they got a shot to just, you know, at the very least, make Oregon sweat a little bit. And they've got a little gauntlet here over the next two games that they can really ruin some seasons. They've got uh, Oregon this week, and they've got USC next week. They can really ruin two seasons uh, for two teams who have much, much bigger aspirations than just winning the Pac-12. We do have Cal covering, uh, and Cal gets one of these, it seems like, almost every year. Just yeah, for huge sure. win out of nowhere. I don't necessarily see it I happening this week. thought it was going to be Notre Dame uh, mm -hmm. earlier this year. So, uh, right, yeah. Uh, could, could be. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens in that one. Um, let's see. How about 23 points for Georgia? They are ranked number one at home against Florida. You know, 
I, I guess I'm, I look at that line and I go, wow, how can they fe- be favored by 23? And then I go, mm, Florida is not very good this year. So uh, I, I don't know. I get, it kind of seems like Florida's offense is Jekyll and Hyde as is Anthony Richardson. So uh, what do you think, Nick? For me, too many points in a rivalry game where Florida is still a talented, has a talented roster. Um, our official projections, 15 and a half, but our prism model, stats only model has Georgia covering. So kind of like that too. It, it could, that, <laughs> this game could be one where Georgia kind of, uh, my experience growing up, you know, watching Georgia, going to Georgia. And, and uh, I was one used to Florida dominating this rivalry for, for most of my uh, early years. Uh, but two, there was a you know a period where Georgia was just a really really difficult team to trust in a game that it's supposed to win, you know, somewhat easily. Um, they're not that team anymore, so I, I kind of have to get used to that a little bit. Um, but I just feel you know something I guess is ingrained in me. It's like Georgia, you know, twenty two and a half against Florida. Like the the Florida Gators? I don't know. That just that seems like too many. Points. Doesn't look right. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, Xavier. I mean, is the spread too big, or do you think Georgia dominates here? The reason why the spread is too big is just simply because Florida's offense is a running offense first. They, they'll they'll at the very least make sure they save face. The last time Florida getting beat by almost thirty to Georgia, you talk about bliss. I don't. There's not many, very many times in this rivalry that I've been able to walk away and just be like, "Yeah, Georgia beat the brakes off of Florida." Uh, <laughs> so you know, the, the, the idea that they do that is slim. Also, I haven't seen Georgia put up um, too much of a like a like a, a, a ridiculous performance since the Oregon game offensively against a team that I, I expected against. Now they did it against Auburn, but I kind of expected that. Uh, they did sure. it against Vanderbilt. I expected that. The last time that they did it was against Oregon and then against South Carolina, where their offense was just clicking on all cylinders. Um, now, granted, maybe the last two weeks are a precursor for this weekend, which would be great for me. But with Florida's offense being so run heavy, they're going to keep the ball out of Georgia's hands as much as they possibly can. Um, they're off, and when I mean run heavy, they don't really have a post in the passing game if it's if it's not you know throwing it against a secondary that's just not turned around. Uh, you know, Anthony Richardson wants to run the football. They want to run the football with Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne. Um, Lorenzo Lingard's no no slouch either. So I expect them not to cover, but I think Georgia still wins it by 17. I will say, uh, Florida defense has been bad. Oh, no, they're, they're bad. Bad. They're bad. Yeah. I just, like, I just I actually didn't realize yeah. how bad. <laughs> I think Florida's but. offense is just like so run heavy that the idea that they beat that. And to the last, well, let me, let's see. All the explosive offenses that they've played this year, they only lost to Tennessee by five. They lost to Utah by they, – they beat Utah by three. They lost to U, they lost to LSU by ten. I, I just don't see Georgia being like the team that beats them by 30 um, with a team that's been able to keep it relatively close, um, even if, even in losses. I got two more here for you guys. Uh, U of A, only 15-point dogs uh, to, to USC. I uh, can't say that we've seen that for a while. The total is 75 and a half which is crazy. Uh, but, uh, I mean, U of A has an offense, but they still have no defense at all. Uh, what do you think of USC at Arizona, Nick? Uh, we have USC officially favored by 15.47. Uh, if Jordan Addison is out, we would be uh, – we would have 
Arizona to cover the 15. I think it's already up to 15 and a half last I saw, um, or depending on, on, you know, where you, where you see it. Uh, I don't know. Seems. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't have a, a huge read. Our, our projection, our total is a, is well under the 75. Um, but you know, could certainly see, uh, There's too many outs. Yeah, there's too many outs in this game, right, Nick? I mean, because like you can squint and see this game going, you know, I don't know, uh, 55, 35 and both things cover. Right. Or you could see this game uh, 67 to three, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, USC wins here or something crazy like that, uh, just because of how bad U of A has historically been. But like I said, They've got an offense this season. They I do. Don't know. And USC is not, you know, not not the best. They're not uh, killing defensively. it defensively. Yeah, they're yeah. They're, they're fine. Uh, but I wouldn't say, hey, uh, USC is going to win this game. The on pass the defense, of their defense is better than their run defense, though. And and Arizona's pretty. Yeah. Uh, I mean, top ten passing team performance, but m- mediocre on the ground. So right, not, not a great matchup for Arizona. Not, right. not really a matchup where you expect they'll be able to take advantage. You got any lean in this one, Xavier? USC. I mean, I, I, I don't think you. I don't think U of A on this one is ready to, you know, cause any friction there. I'm um, also think USC at this point in the year. Like I said, you know, I, I said this earlier about Oklahoma State. I kind of kind of the same way about USC. They've gotten the weird ones out of the way, right? Like they barely beat Oregon State. They lose to Utah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, they lose to Utah. They, you know, the Stanford game wasn't impressive. Neither was the Washington State matchup. I just think that they've gotten those yips out the way that USC typically does. And this is typically when they begin to coast a little bit up until uh, UC, uh, UCLA. I do want to see how they respond after the loss. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that'll be uh, interesting for sure. And then uh, the last game that I have for you guys, number four Michigan is a 23 point home favorite against Michigan state. And I don't particularly find this game to be that interesting. I think Michigan rolls Michigan state. They've looked terrible uh, this year, but just looking at the numbers on like PFF green line action network, all those places that track where the money is going. Most of the money is going on Michigan state, which is a little surprising to me. I know it's a rivalry game. So it is a, you know, potentially throw out the records and, all of that stuff, Nick, but uh, I don't know. Michigan state has been dominant. Michigan or Michigan has been dominant. Michigan state has not been dominant. So it seems like a fairly easy pick to me, but the cash is going the other way towards Michigan state. So what do you think? Uh, so we have Michigan covering uh, 21 and a half is our official line and, and our projections 21.77, but a big favorite. I do feel better about that when the numbers line up, uh, the stats only model can't quite get there. It's only at 21, but I will say, you know, something you were talking about earlier about, uh, you know, past, uh, results and, and trends, you know, historical trends and things like that. I don't usually, uh, care very much about, those sorts of things. I just, I'm, uh, you know, this year is this year and especially the, you know, amount of roster turnover, not just in college football, you know, every, every, you know, what is it? A quarter of the roster would always turn over. Now it's like 30, 35, 40% in in some cases. Um, What happened even last year doesn't matter to me all that much. 
but certainly what happened four or five years ago doesn't matter to me at all. Right. Yeah. And that said, this is a rivalry game that does change things, just sort of heightens emotions. You know, sometimes you can come out tight. Sometimes you can make a mistake um, and, and those things can compound. And, and then the, you know, the crowd and the added pressure uh, can, you know, make something a little more interesting than maybe it should be. Also, sometimes there is just a team for whatever reason that kind of has your number. You just don't play well against. And, and I can't explain that. I don't know what it is. It, it you know, some teams aren't able, you know, to, to just shake off a, a different uh, or, you know, one one particular opponent and Michigan State kind of has Michigan's number a little bit. I mean, the last, you know, few years, even some bad Michigan State teams have really given Michigan trouble and, and beaten Michigan uh, at times as, as a pretty heavy underdog. So I, I with 21 and a half, I mean, it's kind of like the Georgia-Florida uh, scenario where in a rivalry game, give me the underdog with that many points. But Sometimes the team is just flat out better and Michigan does, you know, sometimes, especially since they've got that uh, running game going the last couple of years, I mean, they can just break off some big runs and, and put things away. Um, so I could see that scenario. I could see our projection working out, but Michigan State's kind of, kind of had Michigan's number. Uh, a lot recently, so I don't I don't have a ton of confidence. Xavier, you got a good lean one way or the other on this one? Not 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 really. Uh, not at all. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, you I just you don't uh, you don't at least want to pick against Harbaugh. No, because the, here's here's my thing, right? I, I would love to. Don't get me wrong, and I'm also a huge <laughs> obviously you know former G, Georgia DC. Love the guy, but. Michigan State has just been bad. Like, in all actuality, Michigan State has been a horrendous team. And, and it feels, you know what, you know what this Michigan State season feels a lot like? And I hate to, to bring this up for Indiana fans, but it feels like the Indiana year where they go into the pandemic year and they have a really good season. And the following year, we have a little bit more expectation of them and they completely falter in all fronts. That's what it feels like for Michigan State this year. They have, you know, they had a really good year last year, probably peaked a little bit too early. Uh, they beat Michigan, you know, at home and in comeback fashion. And, and this year, everything has gone off the road. Um, and it's really the more concerning part about it is it's happening on the defensive side of the ball more than on the offense. Uh, the defense has just not been good. Even in last week's win against Wisconsin, they weren't good defensively. They gave up 28 points to a team in Wisconsin who hasn't been good offensively all year. And you're just expecting a Mel Tucker team to be better than that on the defensive side of the ball, especially in the secondary. Um, you know, Mel Tucker is like it was like the DB guru at Georgia and has been throughout most of his career. And his DBs just aren't good. You know, they just aren't good enough. Um, and, and so you're almost wish you're almost want, wondering what's going on in that respect. The one good thing is Michigan can't really take advantage of it because you know JJ isn't necessarily a great passer. Uh, so if Michigan State's going to win this game, it's going to be because, <clears throat> uh, you know, the uh, uh, you know McNamara is not good enough at the quarterback position to take advantage of their biggest weakness. And on the flip side of that, maybe Peyton Thorne pulls a rabbit out of his hat 
and, and returns back to the form that he had last year where he's using his legs on third and longs and third and mediums to make first downs. Their offensive line is blocking well to where Jalen Berger and Elijah Collins, two guys who I love as running backs, can actually run the football. Um, and Jaden Reed, being the number one receiver that he is, is getting touches on the outside and is allowed to actually make plays um, after the catch instead of just having to catch it at his feet, which is what Peyton Thorne's been making him do all year. Yeah. I think you meant J.J. McCarthy, by the way. Yeah, my bad. J.J. McCarthy, not J.J. McNamara. I literally <laughs> put it together. Yeah. Yeah, my bad. I also don't think that uh, whoever the quarterback is, there he ain't pulling Kenneth Walker out of the hat. So yeah, uh, I, I don't, I don't think uh, Michigan State has much of a chance in, in this game. But you know, like like we said, it's a rivalry game. In a rivalry game, you just never know. Uh, there's always seems to be something that can go uh, awry, be fishy, however it works. So oh, absolutely, uh, that's just the way it is uh, in college football. But that is going to wrap it up for us. You can follow. I'm not going to talk UMass, New Mexico State. I mean, I wasn't going to bring it up. You know, uh, I'll just say right. that. I, I mean, right. if you you want to you want to dive in, yeah, I mean, on UMass, New Mexico State. You brought it up. Well, it was. I I, I say that somewhat jokingly, but uh, we better talk about Hawaii if we're going to hit that one. So I was yeah. going to mention we have two wrong team favored, which last week was. A decent week after a horrible start to the year. On yeah, those. you were ready to put that to bed a couple weeks ago. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Uh, Louisville, oddly, we have favored over Wake Forest. Don't necessarily feel great about that. What? We have UMass favored at home against New Mexico State. Uh, this quarterback matchup, by the way, uh, UMass has the slight edge. They rank 130th in our QB position strength oh. where New Mexico state ranks 131st. Wow. Yeah. But I think the bigger factor, <laughs> if it's going to be a factor is it's not really easy to get from Las Cruces, New Mexico to Amherst, Massachusetts. So I, I feel mm. like just sort of the travel. I kind of like, Oh, we're forgetting one game guys. One game in particular that I think is just funny. Oh, we talked about UMass. No, no, Illinois, <laughs> Nebraska. Nebraska still has a chance to win. Okay, has anybody? Did you guys look at what I sent you guys in the in the group chat the other day? That there, that a person literally broke down this like doomsday scenario of how uh, Northwestern can still make the Pac-12 championship out of the Big Ten West. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we have to worry about that. In all serious though, seriousness though, when you look at actually Nebraska versus Illinois, Nebraska still has a chance to. Yeah, I, I we have Nebraska covering, and it, yeah. it wouldn't shock me if Illinois is just not quite ready, you know, to to go on the road and win a game that's supposed to win on the road. I mean, it, you know, it, you you kind of have to learn that. You kind of have to do it, mm-hmm. um, and. This could be a slip-up scenario. Uh, so, yeah, we, we have Nebraska covering. I've liked Illinois a lot this year, but could it's a tricky spot. It is a tricky spot. It, it would make the Purdue-Illinois game in two weeks, typically pretty much the rubber match on who would win the Big Ten West. Uh, so I, hey, Our numbers really like Illinois. So, Nebraska, if you want to, you, you know, spoil the season, here you go. You got a chance. I think we've got uh, them as an underdog in one game. Uh, Northwestern Iowa. We have Northwestern covering. We couldn't get, what was it, 31? <laughs> uh, it opened. Uh, yeah, the, it's the lowest It's the lowest total in spread history. Yeah. If it finishes uh, where it was, it will be the I think it's come up. The, when I did the official uh, consensus uh, one ones, it was, oh, geez, I can't even find the game. Uh, it was 37. 
and our numbers just could. I, I think this is the lowest projected total we've ever had. And <laughs> it was 41. Uh, we just couldn't couldn't get there. So oh, man. Ho- hoping for some defensive touchdowns. That is so great. Uh, I mean, look, uh, I was going to score one, right? I mean, for sure. Who knows? It might be 9-6. It could very well be 12-10. Like like 7-2. What was it that Iowa scored seven in a game this year with two safeties and a field goal? goal. That was their opener. (laughs) That was against the FCS team, too. That's how they won the game. Uh, Was that South Dakota State or whoever they played that game? Yeah, that that was crazy. And then they lost to Illinois later in this year, two weeks ago, nine to six. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I did oh, like. Uh, I, I tell you what, my favorite moment of this podcast was when Nick stiff armed uh, Xavier's uh, comment about how Nebraska could win the Big Ten West. Like, you know, you're crazy. Or Northwestern. Uncle, they're Northwestern. Excuse <laughs> me. Uh, that that uh, either one. To be honest, with you. but, but uh, uh, you know, uh, he dismissed it like an uncle that sends you a top ten reasons why the moon landing was fake. You were just like, yeah, okay, I'm not gonna entertain that. Uh, we're going on to something different here. So that was outstanding. So, uh, but that will actually wrap it up for us. Even though we did get our UMass New Mexico State talk in here, thank the Lord. I mean, what would people have done without that? But uh, remember, you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports for myself, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, at Xavier underscore Tristy R I C H E for Xavier. And we will see you guys next week. Good luck, and see you then. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. Mm-hmm.